all stand. Let's have all the men that will come and let's just gather around the altar and take the service to the Lord. And what folly it would be to go into this service without seeking the presence of the one that we want to meet tonight. Amen. So let's pray. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we thank you for the building that you've gone to prepare. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've promised us in eternity. But we're also grateful, Lord, for what you have for us even in this service tonight. Lord, open our hearts to you. May this be an hour that your name will be lifted up, you will be exalted, that we'll be drawn to you to love you, to follow you, to serve you. Let us tonight worship you. There may be someone here tonight, Lord, that needs encouraging. I pray, Lord, you encourage them. Maybe somebody, Lord, a little downcast, lift them up. Maybe somebody needs to be saved, brought back to you. Whatever the need is, Lord, just be yourself in this service and meet those needs. Thank you again for loving us and for saving us. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all get us a songbook. Turn on to page number 167. Get your book. 167, one day, 167. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. to come and they can present their awards tonight then right after the Awana awards for the JC has something to present to one of our classes for the cubbies the three and four year olds and tonight the cubbies are getting their fourth lamb patch uh, and they have learned four Bible verses to get this patch and tonight we have awards for Logan Hedrick Amanda Hickerson 
Amanda Thompson, and Andrew Thompson. We have three Spark Awards tonight. We're going to start with Courtney Kennedy. Courtney is earned a red jewel. She learned nine Bible verses. Rachel Reed is earned her hiker patch. She learned 10 verses and attended Sunday school. And Randy Haskett has earned a green jewel for learning Ephesians 6.1, and she had to do a chart on obeying her parents. We're the pals of third and fourth grade young men, and tonight we want to honor uh, two clubbers for missing one or fewer times uh, during club during the third quarter. First one is Justin Nicewanger, receives his bronze arrowhead. And also receiving bronze arrowhead is Brandon Daggett. If I could ask Monty Daggett to come up here. Um, last Sunday we had our uh, CD release thing. And I just want to, this is a plaque for the friendship class, and this is a token of my appreciation for all the hard work and dedication that y'all put in last Sunday. May God bless you in your class. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. We're glad you're here tonight. Appreciate all of our kids and the hard work and the leaders and all the classes and everything they do to reach out and just to minister to other folks. That's a blessing about this place. Everybody just thinking about others and doing things for others and how we rejoice in that. We had one saved in Children's Chapel this morning in our children's church. Isn't that glad we rejoice in that and thank God for it. Remember, Francis Cobb should be having surgery on Monday. And then also remember, Jim Kimbrough, as I mentioned this morning, his brother-in-law passed away. And the funeral will be at Wilson's tomorrow at 1 o'clock. So remember that. Then I hope that you're praying now about our building and praying about your giving. Uh, I've kind of had a word of revelation. I, you, whatever. I believe everybody is to give $1,000. I, I just feel spurred in that, don't you? Listen, whenever I get feeling the spirit, then that's when you're in trouble. As long as I listen to the spirit, I do well. But when I get that spirit, then you're in trouble. But uh, no, I hope that you really pray about it and think about it. And uh, I'm excited about it. It's going to be a great addition to our facilities and, uh, and function to all of our buildings. So you pray much about it. And we like to say, we'll need a very special gift. And we're going to need around $120,000. But uh, Chester Joe, actually, third Sunday in May. That's a real special Sunday. If you've never been here on the chest of Joash, it is a day of giving. And it's just a wonderful day. I've had folk that visited here. And I've noticed each year when we have it, visitors come. They participate in it and everything, though we don't ask visitors to do so. They just get caught up in the spirit of giving. But uh, many have said, I have never seen anything like the chest of Joash. And it is a marvelous day and I'm looking forward to it and won't you be praying now about your giving that day that's the third Sunday of May let's pray father we thank you for the privilege you've been able to serve you thank you for all of these that are working in various areas to serve you and the many many things that are going on continue to bless all the things that are going on our ministries and those who uh, play a part in them. I pray you bless our plans and projects. I pray they'll honor and glorify you in every little detail and that we'll have no ulterior motives in all that we do. Open our hearts to your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
All stand tonight, please. Everyone standing. Choir's going to come down as the musicians play through a few verses of things. And I want you to shake hands with everyone around. Find those visitors. We got some here. Make them feel welcome tonight. All right, choir, y'all come down, ladies. Most of you folks know what we do, but some of our visitors may not. What we're going to ask everyone to do, if you're still shaking hands, that's fine. All of you sit down. Oh, you know what we're going to do here? We're going to sing glory, glory, glory. Somebody touched me. Everyone's sitting down now. And then if you remember what day you got saved on, we want you to stand on that day as we go through each day of the week. And if you know you're saved but don't remember what day, then stand on Sunday with us. All right? Glory, glory, glory. Somebody touched me. All right? Glory, glory, somebody touch me. Glory, 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 somebody touch me. Glory, 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 somebody touch me. Must have been the hand of the Lord on a Monday. 
Monday. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. Must have been the hand of the Lord. If it was on a Tuesday, it was on a Tuesday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Tuesday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Tuesday. Somebody touched me. Must have been. I praise God for his saving grace, aren't you? I watched everybody stand. I just thank the Lord for his saving grace in all of your lives. It's a joy tonight to have with us the Loco family, L-O-K-O, and they are going to Togo from Togo, West Africa, going to Togo, West Africa, and we certainly enjoyed having them in our mission committee meeting tonight. In fact, we took them on in our mission committee meeting. And this is our newest mission family, so I won't, uh, uh, Brother Lo is it Loku? Okay, Brother Loku, you come on up here and introduce your family, whatever you want to do. Take a few moments and tell us about yourself and your work. Let's welcome uh, the Loku family with us tonight. Thank you very much, Pastor Trevor. Thank you. And uh, church, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, my name, of course, is uh, Koku Loco. You can twist that and make it uh, Kuku Loco. <laughs> and, uh, and I like that better. This is my wife, Yvette, and Esther. Kevin is somewhere. 
in the nursery. This means we need prayer for that nursery worker. <laughs> so we have one on the way. We thank God for the opportunity to be here. Uh, we're going to sing, and then uh, my wife and Ke uh, Esther will go back. We're not uh, professional singers. We just sing because uh, the Lord has put song in my heart. And we sing the same song that you sing here because, uh, uh, to be honest with you, it was America that brought us Christ. So we sing the same song you sing. We went to sing two songs, uh, meaning one stanza of each, one in French, and the second one will be in one of our dialects. sinners saved by grace. We praise God and we thank God for America. We thank God for churches like Temple Baptist who are concerned about the lost souls around the world. 
Well, the first song we sung was in French. This means we are colonized by French people, so we speak their language and a bunch of dialects, African dialects. And in the course of my years, I have seen French mathematicians, physicists, and philosophers. In fact, I was taught by some French philosophers in high school. So that was our salvation. But when it comes to mission, it comes to the gospel, I have yet to meet one French missionary. It was because of the love of American people, American Christians, that in 1979, it was in April, 21 years ago, on the Wednesday prayer meeting, that I was introduced to the Savior. And I'm not going to go to all the detail, but it was a friend of mine, a body friend of mine, that has been invited to attend an evangelistic meeting conducted by an American missionary. I didn't want to go because I was studying for an exam, but the reason, the real reason was I was 18 years old. So I was pretty much enjoying life. But my friend went, and about two and a half hours later, my friend Simon, or Simon, who left me with his brain, came back crazy. And I thought first something has happened there. Indeed, something did happen. It was not what I was thinking, because uh, he prompted the door opened, my gate opened, and uh, he was out of breath. He ran three miles after he got saved just to tell me that he got saved. And that night, I didn't want to get saved, so I told Simon, go and convince your mother. Simon's mother used to be called Madame Voru. We have plenty of Madame Vorus and Mr. Vorus in Africa, which means she was born to an idol god and was to serve that god for life. And uh, she warned me never to take her son anywhere near anything that looked like a church building. And she meant it. She was that kind of lady. But to make the long story short, it took only two weeks to see Simon's news life in Christ. And then I resigned and I called Simon and said, well, I'm ready to meet your missionary now. I have a few questions for him. In Africa, we say black magic versus white magic. And I went there, it was a prayer meeting on Wednesday. And the man who opened the Bible in Ecclesiastes 11, 9, and started reading. I was handed a French Bible, and I was following. But at the end of that uh, verse, it was a word, judgment. No doubt that for all this, God will bring you to a judgment. And I was pretty much, you know, enjoying my youth. So that night, I gave my life to Christ. And uh, what a joy it was. And I wish I can go back to that day. It was, I was crazy, indeed. But how did I get here? After I got saved, a fellow missionary, a veteran missionary who was working in Ghana, he was a Nigerian. In fact, I just discovered that this church support uh, has some connection to that missionary. And he came to preach what I call a revival. It was then that the Lord impressed upon my heart to be in his ministry. And uh, I went to talk to my missionary, and he said, just start helping the missionary. So I would go with the missionary in the village. They would preach, and I would translate. 
and one thing led to another. I'm not going to look back now and see what God used me. It was just it was a grace that God can use me. But uh, it was during my home church, I was teaching a Sunday school. We put everybody together. The church has grown about 600, and I was teaching a Sunday school adult and uh, doing uh, Matthew, and by the time I get to Matthew 24, I found myself in Revelation, and I was lost. I was messed up. I, could, I didn't know what I was teaching. And I came back Sunday. I would change what I thought the previous Sunday. And uh, people would ask questions, and I would, sometimes I would say, I don't know. Sometimes I would just say, I don't know. So it was uh, getting, uh, I was getting a little bit uh, irritated with myself, so I looked for a way to come and get trained. That was the reason why I came to this beautiful country. And folks, you have a country that everybody is jealous of, at least the Christianity or even the way that people can expand in the Bible, like Pastor Trivet. Oh, boy, I tell you. I tell you. And I praise God. You should be proud of, of your ministers. And that is the reason why I came here. And we finish. And now I'm going back, trying to help my people in church planting and in training national. But I'm going to leave you with this verse that you all know well. It's Hebrews 10. And the Bible said that for you know that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the same and do minister. For sending missionaries to Africa today, we hear and singing along with you. I don't know what will have happened if you didn't send missionaries. God might have another way, but when history is written, we always say that it is because of you, churches like this, that we came in contact with the gospel. So I'm here tonight to say thank you. And we hope that you pray for us. We hope to be living in September, God willing, and we have one on the way. We wish you pray for us. So again, Pastor Trivet and the congregation, we very, very much appreciate it. Thank you very much, and God bless you. If tonight you have a need or someone in your family has a need, a burden, a problem, the scripture gives us really a command in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Tonight you have a need, you have a burden, you have a problem. The Lord tells us we can come boldly to his throne and ask our Heavenly Father, and he'll meet our needs according to his riches in Christ. When it's my time to call on the Lord.
It's my time for tears and for sorrow. When it's my time to carry a heavy load. When this old heart of mine starts to tremble, then it's my time to call on the Lord. When it's my time to be talked of unkindly, when it's my time to be criticized, when my whole world is falling around me, then it's my time to call Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What a great song, amen? It's not many songs, old songs or whatever that I haven't heard. I'm in church so much in my life. Uh, I don't think I've heard that. I don't know if it's new or old or what. But um, what a great song. What a blessing. I'm, finally, I'm glad we finally found something Ronnie could do, aren't you? What? <laughs> That's good. I like that. That is a blessing. As you know, we have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday night for a long time. Actually, tonight is our 43rd week in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we have a few more to go. We're in that section of 1 Corinthians that deals with spiritual gifts, and in particular, chapter 14 deals with the gift of speaking in tongues. I've tried to be faithful to the Word of God and try to be faithful to the Scriptures as I 
have gone through the book, and especially this section here, and I know that when you talk about speaking in tongues, it is a very controversial subject. And I have said before that this is one area I don't have any wobble room in. This, this settled in my heart. This nailed down. was a long time ago, and even going through it again has reinforced these things in my heart and even nailed down uh, these things in my heart even more. But I have tried just to look at the Scriptures and just try to show you what the Scriptures mean and just let the Scriptures speak for themselves Though I do put my opinion in occasionally, I know that's impossible not to when you preach and whatever there. But I really believe that this issue would be rectified in a lot of minds and satisfied if they just listen to what God has to say in the Bible. I think, in fact, I think if you just take the Bible for what it says and follow the Bible. That's why years ago, this became my method of preaching. Basically, as you know, I'm in some kind of series all the time and I'm always going through a book of the Bible. And just, just take God's Word, verse by verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. And it'll do, it'll, it'll, first of all, it'll build people. And second of all, it'll, just, it'll answer questions for you. This Bible will address every area of our life as we go through it. And so that's why we do that. But uh, this has been a very enlightening time for me as we've gone through this chapter. I want us tonight to look at verses 13 through 25. I want you to stand as we honor the public reading of the Scriptures. And I want us to look at these verses tonight and think about this thought. Talk in a way that everyone can understand what you're saying. I believe that's what he's saying here because he focuses upon the ideal of understanding here. And we'll notice that in just a moment. But really, if, if I just put a title to it, it's like Paul said, I want you to talk in a way that everybody can understand what you're saying. I look at verse 13. Wherefore, now that connects to what we have just looked at in verses 1 through 12. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, where thou shalt, thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be your children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, 
He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And tonight we're going to look at this particular section. You really could break chapter 14 down concerning a Corinthian practice of tongues and then it deals with the purpose which we'll see tonight and then next week we'll notice a procedure. If there is any section that would cut down most of the modern day charismatic movement, it would be the section that would follow when he talks about the procedure of tongues and how that you're speaking tongues. Even the real gift, nobody, no one service could you have more than three people speak in tongues. And we'll look at that next week. But that, there's so many things. Let's pray and then we'll look at this section tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, as we come to you, we're mindful of what you said in chapter 12 and verse 1, that we be not ignorant. Lord, you don't want us to lack understanding. In fact, the scriptures we've just read repeatedly has talked about our understanding. You want us to know. And Father, whatever you gave in your word, I believe you want us to understand it. I don't thank you, Lord, you want us to be confused about certain matters. I don't think you, Lord, want us to be unsettled about certain matters, but you want us to understand. You want us to know what your mind is about a matter. And you want us to be brought to a realization of what you are saying. So as we come to your word tonight, which is the final authority in what we believe, we pray that he that wrote the book, the Holy Spirit of God, would now give us understanding, the very thing that you seek for in this passage. Give us understanding tonight. Bring us to light to understand the Word of God. Help us to see it correctly. We understand, Lord, there are not many interpretations to your Scripture. There is one. And so we want to know what is right. So we pray that you would help us to be faithful to the Scripture and to the guidelines of interpretation. So speak to us tonight and help us as a body of believers at Temple Baptist to be rooted and grounded in truth. May we not be a congregation that is tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine, but may we gr be grounded in the eternal truths of God. So teach us tonight your word. Help us to grow as we go through these verses tonight. For it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Again, this particular section we are looking at deals with the matter of spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 deals with spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, he dealt with spiritual gifts in general. He talked about the distribution of gifts, how that God has distributed spiritual gifts to believers, how that every child of God is a gifted child. Every believer has received some spiritual gift from the Lord. But chapter 14 deals specifically with the gift of speaking in tongues. It would appear that in the church of Corinth, that was the big issue. The Corinthians liked the showy gifts, and it would appear that the speaking in tongues or the gift of tongues was the gift of the Corinthian church. And so Paul writes one whole chapter dealing with it. Throughout the chapter, he contrasts it with prophesying and prophecy and whatever to drive in some points about the matter. But he deals with the matter of speaking in tongues in chapter 14. Now, last Sunday night, if you recall, we, as we thought about speaking in tongues, 
We saw in the Word of God that speaking in tongues, a biblical gift of tongues is always a language. It is always, I repeat with emphasis on always. When you look at the examples in the Bible and you look at the teaching of the Word of God concerning speaking in tongues, it is always a language. Now for the speaker, it may be a language that he has not acquired. It may be a language that he does not know, but it is always a language. It is always someone speaking a language they do not know, they have not naturally acquired, but it is a language that somewhere, somebody would be able to recognize. Nothing in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible, in the three examples of anybody speaking in tongues or anywhere in the Scripture do you find that the Bible, when it talks about speaking in tongues, it is anything but another language communicated by someone that does not know that particular language. Now, that is interesting. When you think about the modern-day tongues movement, you think about tongues as they go on in these days. I think about them in light of what the Scripture has to say about tongues, that tongues is a language. The subject of modern tongues has been studied by linguists and others, and their findings are very, very interesting. For example, there is one author by the name of William Samarin that has written several books on the study of modern-day tongues. And he is a linguist, and he has listened to these things and studied these from all kinds of cultures and different groups and has studied them. And in one particular book, he writes these words. When the full apparatus of linguistic science comes to bear on glossolalia, and glossolalia is another term that is a term that is often used for speaking in terms. The word tongues that you find in our text here comes from the Greek word glossia. And so you get that phrase glossolalia. And he writes about glossolalia. He said that he said when the full apparatus of linguistic science comes to bear or when it's applied to speaking in tongues, this turns out only to be only a facative language, a facative language, although at times a very good one indeed. For when we comprehend what language is, we must conclude that glossia, no matter how well constructed, is a specimen of human language because it is neither internally organized nor systematically related to the world that man perceives. He goes on to write in another article, he said, over a period of five years I have taken part in meetings in Italy, Holland, Jamaica, Canada, and the United States. He said, I have observed old-fashioned Pentecostals and neo-Pentecostals. He said, I have been in small meetings in private homes as well as in mammoth public meetings. He said, I have seen, different, seen such different culture settings as found among the Puerto Ricans of the Bronx, the snake handlers of the Appalachians, and the Russia Mullicans of Los Angeles. I have interviewed tongue speakers and tape recorded and analyzed countless samples of tongues. In every case, glossolalia turns out to be linguistic nonsense. In spite of superficial similarities, glossolalia is fundamentally not language, end quote. Now that immediately raises an eyebrow, ought to raise an eyebrow. For when you study the Word of God, you'll find that speaking in tongues was always a language. But a linguist will study the modern-day tongue movement and they will find that what you're hearing today is not 
a language. Now, that'll say something to you at the very, very beginning. What we have in our modern-day tongues movement, what you had in the church of Corinth was nothing more than the repeating of sounds, not the communication of a language. Well, I say all that to say that in verses 13 through 25, Paul's focus seems to be on understanding. You notice beginning, notice how he emphasizes understanding. In verse 13, or rather verse 14, he talks about, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15, twice, I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the understanding also. In verse 16, seeth he understandeth not what thou sayest. Verse 19, yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding. Verse 20, brethren, be not children in understanding. In verses 13 through 25, Paul is emphasizing the matter of understanding. And particularly, he's talking about in the Corinthian church, there was a lack of understanding. Now, I look at these verses and I find there are two areas in which there was a lack of understanding. There was a personal lack of understanding. There was a public lack of understanding. Now, let me look at these two things tonight. First of all, notice with me a personal lack of understanding. Verse 13 and verse 14, he talks about a personal lack of understanding. In verse 13, verse 14, he is talking about somebody that is speaking in tongues or in the Corinthian practice of speaking in tongues. He's talking to an individual or to individuals. And he said in verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh him, singular, speaketh in an unknown tongue, pray that he, singular, may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. He's talking about a personal lack of understanding. Again, he's talking about someone that is involved in the speaking of tongues. And he says there is a personal lack of understanding involved in this practice. Now, there are two things that Paul desires in verse 13 and 14. One. There was the interpretation Paul desired. Look at verse 13 again. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, let's go back to last Sunday night. If you missed last Sunday night, you're catching up tonight, but it's very critical that you understand something we saw last Sunday night that is critical to understanding what verse 13 and 14 has to say. You notice in verse 13 that he talks about speaking in an unknown tongue. Verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue. You see those two phrases? Last week I pointed out that the word unknown is in italics, meaning it was added there by the translators of the Bible. And if you remember last Sunday night, I pointed out there was a reason why they added the word unknown at, to certain times that tongues is mentioned, and that in other times in the chapters, you do not find the word unknown attached to the word tongues. Anytime you find the word tongue, singular, the word unknown is in front of it, added there by the italics to point out, to distinguish this particular matter. But whenever you find the word tongues, or you find the word tongues, plural in the Bible, you'll find that the word unknown is not there. Here is the difference. The word tongue, anytime you find the word tongue, singular, and the word unknown connected to it, it is in reference to the false fleshly practice of speaking in tongues that was going on in the church of Corinth. It is describing the gift that is not the genuine article. 
When he talks about an unknown tongue, he is talking about that which is not real. He is referring to that Corinthian practice which was nothing more than gibberish and an emotional outburst of some form or another. He talks about an unknown tongue, the unknown tongue being the false gift. But whenever you find the word tongues, plural, it is always in reference to the real gift of tongues. For example, Paul said in verse 18, I speak with tongues more than you all. He's referring to the real gift. But you find here in verse 13 and 14, he is not talking about the real thing. He is not talking about the real uh, gift of speaking in tongues. That is important to understand what he's saying in verse 13 and 14. For if you misunderstand that, then you will build a doctrine on something that is not being taught in verse 13 and verse 14. It is important to understand it, what he is saying. But you notice verse 13 again. He says that he prays that they pray for interpretation. What Paul is doing is driving home a point here. You see the word wherefore? It points back to what he just said. It points back to what we saw last Sunday night. For example, you notice in verse 11, he talks about the meaning of the voice. He talks about him that understands in the following verses there, but the meaning of the voice. In verse 10, he talks about none of them voices in the world. He's talking about languages and the understanding of languages or the meaning of that languages and whatever there. And how he talks about what he says is that whatever we do, it is to be understood. Then he says in verse 13, wherefore? Because every language in the world has a purpose and every language in the world can be understood by somebody. Though I may not be able to understand it. He was singing in French a while ago. I knew a few lines there because I knew the song. And when he was singing in those others, I, I, I don't know those dialects. All I know is Southern English. That's the only, the heaven's language. That's the only real language I know is Southern English. But he said all the voices in the world, all the languages in the world, they can be understood. But he said in verse 13, wherefore, in light of the fact that language is understood, then he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, pray that he may interpret. Now here's the point. They couldn't interpret it. The very point that Paul is driving home is he says that voices, languages are understood by someone. He said, therefore, if you're going to speak in this unknown tongue or this practice of tongues you got, he said, then you pray, you interpret what you say. And the point that he's driving is that they could not do it because you can't interpret something that cannot be interpreted. You see what he's saying? Most charismatic, I am reading and following some of their articles, they interpret the word unknown as being some kind of language that's not known to man. That's how they explain it. Or some kind of angelic language or some kind of heavenly language. I want you to listen to me again. Let me repeat again. Anytime you find tongues in the Bible, it is a language that is known by man somewhere. Nowhere in the Bible do you find in an example of speaking in tongues or whatever there a language that was not known to man. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke in many different languages and they knew it was languages because the men there said, we hear them speak in our language. They were not speaking in some language that man did not know. 
They were not speaking in some angelic or heavenly language not known to man. It is always a language known to man. And so he says in verse 13 there, talking about the false thing, he said, what you're doing is gibberish. He said, interpret what you say. And the point is, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because it wasn't a language. It didn't say anything. That was the interpretation that he desired. Are you with me? Look at the second thing. Not only interpretation that was desire, but in verse 14, there is the illumination that was desire. He goes on. He's talking about an unknown tongue. He's talking about a false gift. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, he talks about praying. Most charismatics believe in a prayer language that involves speaking in tongues. In fact, I looked up one particular group, the United Pentecostal Church this week, and they believe in two distinct types of the gift of tongues. There's all kinds of ideals, even among the charismatics, about what the Bible is saying about these matters. But for just one example, and I'm not picking on any particular group, but the United Pentecostal Church believes there are two distinct types of the gift of tongues. They believe that everyone that has truly been saved experiences the first type, and that is they will speak in a language that no man understands or that no man can interpret, and this is normally spoken in private, not in church. It is more of a worship language. It is more of a prayer language. The second type is the type, according to United Pentecostal Church, that you see in public meetings, and they believe that not everyone receives this second gift. It is an additional gift that is only given to some Christians. But they believe that everybody that's been saved has this first type of speaking in tongues and they'll speak in a language that nobody understands and nobody interprets. Well, immediately that raises a red flag for me because it raises a red flag for me because the Bible doesn't talk about a tongues or a language that no man can understand. It talks about tongues always as a language that somebody understands, not something that cannot be interpreted. The real gift of tongues is found in the Bible always can be interpreted. And any time you find anybody advocating speaking in tongues in a language that nobody can interpret, then what's the gift of interpretation about? It's contrary to the speaking of the Word of God or the teaching of the Word of God. One particular web page that I looked at spoke of three different manifestations of speaking in tongues. One was the evidential tongues, which is the initial evidence that when someone is, bab when someone is baptized in the Holy Ghost. We saw that in the very beginning, that Paul said, you're all baptized with the Holy Ghost, but not everybody has the gift of tongues. He made it very clear in the distribution of spiritual gifts that to one is given this gift, to another is given that gift, to another is given this gift. Not everybody has the same gifts. They're distributed among the body, but everybody is baptized in the Spirit into the body of Christ. But they say that the evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God, the evidence in speaking in tongues or the being, uh, being baptized in the Spirit is that you speak in tongues. You don't find it in the Bible. The evidential tongues, they said, was one. Second of all, there was the ministry gift of tongues that is described in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and that involves a message in tongues that is given in a service. I have TBN just like all of you do, and I'm going to wonder for just a moment. And uh, I watch it just like you do. I don't send them my money, but I, I watch it, kind of fishing around. In fact, I, well, it's all Sherry watches, so I sit down with her and watch her. I wouldn't get to watch anything. <laughs> Amen. You know, I've seen a lot of 
examples of speaking in tongues. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't recall anybody ever interpreted what was being said. Have you ever noticed that? You got 100 people out there, and if there was a real biblical gift of tongues, and everyone I'm speaking in tongues somewhere, there'd be an interpreter that would interpret in public what they were saying. But you don't ever see that happen. But anyway, I, I kind of got off my point there. Uh, that there's a ministry gift of tongues. And then thirdly, there was this intercessory tongues. The ability to pray in other tongues. You know what that's built upon? Verse 14. But again, let me ask you something. Is Paul talking about a real gift of tongues in verse 14? No. He is talking about a fleshly practice that was going on in the church of Corinth. He is talking about a fleshly false matter, a practice of speaking in tongues, or what they called speaking in tongues. And he talks about praying in an unknown tongue. Apparently what he's talking about, this was probably their act of, uh, an attitude of worship. For example, he talked about uh, verse 2 there, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. You always find in the three examples in the Bible, when anybody spoke in tongues, they were never speaking to God. Anytime anybody in the Bible was speaking in tongues, they were speaking to men. They were speaking to men to declare unto them the message of God. Nowhere in the biblical examples of speaking in tongues do you find anybody speaking to God. Paul speaks in verse 2 about a false practice there. They were not speaking to men. They were speaking to God. And I think the ideal is that they had accepted speaking in tongues as an act of their worship to God. Contrary to any example of tongues in the Bible. And when you come down to verse 14, praying in a tongue, I believe that was one of the things that was going on in the church of Corinth. That is, they were worshiping and as they were emotionally being charged, no doubt they were lifting their hands to God, speaking in gibberish as if they were communing with their God and talking to the Lord. That's what Paul's talking about. But Paul said in verse 14 there that if they are praying in the Spirit, he said, my understanding is unfruitful. Notice carefully there, he said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. You see, most charismatics, they teach that this prayer language in tongues is the Spirit of God praying in them and praying through them. And they often take Romans chapter 8 in which he intercedes with groanings that cannot be uttered. And the best way I know how to translate what groanings which cannot be uttered, have you ever had a time in your life that you fell before God and all you could do is say, oh God. And just groan, you pour your heart out. You didn't, you were so heavy and so broken and so moved by that situation. You couldn't get on there and just talk to God. All you could do is lay before God and weep. That's what he's talking about. When you get to that point, the Spirit of God knows what your heart is saying and he can rush it to the throne room of God. But he's talking about the Spirit of God and they say that he's talking about the Spirit of God praying in them and through them. But Paul does not say that it was the Holy Spirit praying. He says in verse 14, wherefore let him that, or verse 14, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. He's talking about his own spirit, not the Holy Spirit. The best way I know what he's saying to translate spirit there, it's the soul of man, the spirit of man, the emotional makeup of man. He said, what you're doing in the church of Corinth is an imitation of the real thing. And what you're doing is emotionally you're in this experience. You're having emotional experience. Out of your spirit, your emotions are crying out to God in prayer. You're crying out in this experience there. But he said, the problem is, I don't understand a thing. 
that is going on. You don't understand anything either. He's talking about how there was an emotional experience of them. Their practice was nothing more than an emotional experience. But Paul said it's an unfruitful thing. When you pray, you're praying and it's some kind of gibberish or whatever there. He said, let me ask you something. How is it helping you except just making you feel good? What are you learning from it? What are you praying for? If you don't know what you're praying for, I mean, how's it benefit you in prayer? If you don't know what your petitions are going to God, how is it benefiting you? He said it's an unfruitful practice. I'm going to say this. There is nothing wrong with emotions in service. In fact, what he said, look in verse 15. What is it then? That's another way of saying, in line of what I just said, what will you do? What are you going to do now that I've just said this here? He said, if you, you, you practice what's going on in the Corinth, I tell you what, won't you interpret what you're saying? And I can hear one of them say, well, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, all right, if it's of God, then somebody here knows what you're saying. Let somebody interpret it. There's nobody going to be able to interpret it. Why? Because it cannot be interpreted. He said, let me throw in something else. And while you're praying there and in you're praying in your unknown tongue, he said, what do, you, do you understand what you're praying for? Do you understand what you're asking God for? He said in verse 15, what, what, what are you going to do about it then? Notice what he said. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. You see the word understanding? We read it a moment, several pointed out. It's a word that simply talks about the mind. Now follow me closely tonight. I do not believe there is anything wrong with emotions in a service. Our emotions are connected to our worship. There is no way you can disconnect our emotions from worship. Feeling good, being made to feel good, becoming emotionally involved in what you do. Why do people weep? They become emotionally involved. Why do people lift their hands? They become emotionally involved. Why do we rejoice? Why do we shout? Why do we give praise? Because emotionally we're connected to what we're doing. But I want you to listen to me. Nothing wrong with emotions, but you cannot disengage the mind when it comes to worship. Worship is more than just feeling good. Worship is more than bumping up the PA system and making you feel something. Worship starts right here in your head. It's a matter of the mind. Why do you... Why do we respond in praise to God? I'll tell you why. Because of the great truths of God that we're brought to understand. And as I contemplate on something God has declared, for as God's saving grace, for by grace are you saved. When I begin to dwell on that, that God didn't ask anything of me, a sinner that should have went to hell, he let me in because his of grace, you want you to, as you dwell on that, it's not long that it moves you. And as you think about the truths of God, who God is, as you dwell upon God in your mind and think about God, it's not long that you want to just lift your hands and say, how great thou art. Nothing wrong with emotions, but emotions is the result of what has gone on in the mind. It's the outflow of what you're understanding. It is the outflow of your comprehension. And Paul said, yes, when I pray, I'm going to pray with my spirit. 
Yes, I'm going to get emotionally involved when I pray, but I'm going to pray with my mind too. I'm not just going to have a good time. I'm going to know what I'm praying about. That's what he's saying. He said when it comes to singing, some of you ought to get a hold of this. He said, I'm going to sing in the Spirit. Don't you love those singers that just get amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I, I like for somebody to get in it, don't you? Now this highfalutin stuff for me, let somebody get a mic and rear back and sing to me. That's what I like, you know what I'm talking about? Get involved in it. Feel what they're doing. He said, I'm going to sing with the Spirit. I'm going to get mostly involved in my singing, but I'm going to sing with my mind too. I'm going to sing truth. I'm going to sing what... I'm going to sing truth and I'm going to dwell on the truth that I am singing. Paul said, look, you're praying. You don't even understand what you're praying. You're talking, you're giving something here you can't even interpret. He said, here's the bottom line of thing. You don't have a, you're not, there's no personal understanding through what you're doing. There is a lack of personal understanding. He is saying to them, what you do, let it be to your benefit. Learn from it. If you do not learn something from it, then you've missed it. If there is not some communication of truth in what you're doing, if it's nothing more than the old Adam hooping it up, junk it. Have a good time, but let it be that which flows out of your understanding. That's what he's saying there. There is not to be a personal lack of understanding. Are you with me now? Say amen. Look at the second thing. He talks about a public lack of understanding. Beginning in verse 16. See, the practice that was going on in the Corinthian church, that wasn't, a, wasn't the real gift, it was an imitation, as distinguished by the word unknown and the singular tongue. And so what was going on in the Corinthian church was just gibberish, if I can put it that way. And, and I don't know any other way to put it, because that's what it was. And uh, so Paul says to them in beginning in verse 16 that it had neither benefit for either saint or sinner. He said in verse, third 14, th verse 13 and 14, for the person speaking in tongues, you don't have any understanding, therefore there is no benefit to you. In verse 15 or 16, then he says, neither does the saints around you or the sinners around you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. First of all, he talks about the saints lack understanding. Look at verse 16. Else... When thou shalt bless with the Spirit. And again, you, verse 16, that's a verse I thought about just coming back and just pulling worship out of it. Because it is not only a correction of a false matter, but there's a lot of hints about what a church service ought to be. For example, thou shalt bless with the Spirit. In other words, when we come to church, there ought to be this blessing, this praise this emotional matter of our worship to God. He talks about saying amen. I know some places if they said amen in church, you'd scare them to death. I say, if you, you, are you listening to me say amen? I'm all the time pleading for you to say amen, say amen. And some of you haven't done it yet. I want you to get to heaven and when everybody starts saying amen, you say, boy, we, we're used to that, we're used to that. But for you folks that hesitate to say about amen, I hope God calls you up and just says, I want you to lead us all in amen. Put you in front of all of heaven. Make you say amen right there in front of all of eternity. 
But in the early church, the word amen simply means I agree or so be it. It's an act of affirming something that is said. And in the early church, when somebody had seen something that they agreed with, they said amen. If somebody said something they agreed with, they said amen. But he said in verse 16 there, he talks about giving of thanks. It's worship. But notice, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks? And he understandeth not what thou sayest. He talks about the unlearned. You see that phrase there? It's simply someone that doesn't know. The unlearned, the unskillful. He talked about, begin chapter 12, I would not have you to be ignorant. He didn't mean that in a detrimental way. He just didn't know. And chapter 14, verse 16, talking about somebody that's unlearned, somebody that's unskilled, somebody that has never been brought to an understanding of truth or whatever. And in my particular, what I think he was talking about when we talk about the unlearned is those in the Corinthian church that did not have the gift of tongues or didn't know anything about it, didn't know what it was about, what it was. But he says to them there, the saints of God, he said, if they come in the room of the unlearned, they come in there and people are blessing in the Spirit and they occupy and they say amen, they give them thanks and they don't understand it. For example, somebody's getting up and they're going through all this stuff and they say, I am praying to God, I'm worshiping God, I'm in communion with my God, I'm having a great time with God. And they're in some, some kind of gibberish or just repeating a syllables and whatever there. How can someone say amen? They don't know what they're saying. They can't say amen to that. They don't know what he just said. And he says to them there, the unlearned, how can they say amen? How can they respond to it? How can they grow from it? How can they come to an understanding of it? They don't understand it. They understand it not. Look at verse 17. Now, Paul didn't doubt their sincerity. He said, for thou verily givest thanks well. He said, oh, he said, I got no complaints about you as far as how you get involved in what you're doing. He said, Dow, when you come to giving thanks, uh, you're really into that matter. But he said, the problem is nobody's getting edified. Nobody can say amen to what's going on because they don't know what you're saying. You're supposedly blessing the Spirit in some kind of language, but nobody else gets edified from it because they don't know what you're blessing. They don't know what you're saying. They don't know when to say amen because they don't know what you said. They can't say amen. And he said, the whole problem is nobody is being edified. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Notice there he talks about the real gift. And most Bible scholars here, and there's no example in all the Bible where Paul ever spoke in tongues. What most Bible scholars believe when he used the word tongues there, he's talking about his own ability to speak a language. This brother here spoke three languages to us tonight. And Paul was a very educated man, and he was able to speak several languages. And Paul said, listen to me, when it comes to speaking languages, hey, listen, I can speak more, I can, I can speak more languages than any of you. But notice what he said in verse 19. But, or yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Paul is, now Paul is just assuming, just saying, well, let's just say that what you're doing is real. Let's just assume that what you're practicing is the genuine article. He said, if that was still real, he said, I tell you what, I'd rather speak five words and somebody understand what I say than 10,000 words and nobody understand it and not get anything out of it. How would you like to come to church 
And I got up and said, no, open your Bible to John 10. And for the next 30 minutes, we'll go back. You remember we looked at the word barbarian there. It talks about be like a barbarian, onomatopoeic word. It's like something like the bee went bzzz, Or the zipper went zip. And it was a word in those days, it, the best way to know how to say it was ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. How would you like for me to come to church and open my Bible and get up for 45 minutes and all I do is just say ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-
tongues, languages, see it's plural, and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. He said in verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign. In verse 12, or rather verse 21, he goes back to Isaiah. Let me give you the background. About 15 years before Isaiah prophesied, the northern kingdom, which is Israel, had been conquered and taken captive by the Assyrians. Through Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Judah, the southern kingdom. And he said, if you don't repent and you don't turn back to God, then the same thing's going to happen to you. You read, they did not hear, they did not listen. But the word of God that was given to him in Isaiah chapter 28 is, listen, if you don't get right, there's going to be a people that speaks a language that you do not know that's going to come in and they're going to deal with you. He said to them, he was saying to them that somewhere I will judge you and I will judge you with the people that do not speak the language you speak. I will judge you with somebody that will come speaking something you don't understand what they say. I will send them as judgment. And yet they would not hear. Isaiah talks about it. And here he even makes reference to that. Yet they will not hear me, saith the Lord. That's not the only time God said, I'm going to judge you with somebody with a language you don't understand. Mark your place and look back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going somewhere, so follow me. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Are you in a real hurry to get home? You know, it don't, it don't help you to respond either way because you know I'm going to go to get through. I'm just about through. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 49. Here's God was giving to them, telling them down the road, now look, if you don't serve me, if you turn away from me, you no longer accept me as your God, you no longer believe in me as your God. He said, I just want you to know some of the things that will happen. And what he said in verse Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. Back in the very beginning, God said, look, if you don't follow me and you leave me out and you no longer believe in me, I'm going to send a nation to judge you and deal with you that speaks in a language or a tongue that you don't understand. Isaiah, years later, comes along and reminds them of the promise of God. He said, look, God is going to deal with you in judgment through a nation that does not understand. Therefore, what Paul says in verse 22, wherefore, tongues are for a sign. It was a sign, according to Deuteronomy, that God is going to deal with them, a nation that spoke in a tongue they didn't speak. Isaiah, that was a sign to Israel that God's judgment was about to come. Paul said, wherefore tongues are for a sign. Notice, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, what's been going on in the church of Corinth all through this chapter? The Corinthians and their practice of tongues. Everybody, I'm praying to God. I'm communing with God. I'm got my, I'm drawing close to God through this experience that I'm having. I don't understand what I'm saying. I don't understand what is going on in me. It's God, Spirit praying through me and whatever there. It's all been wrapped in the believers and their own self and what they were feeling. But Paul said, I want you to understand something. 
He said, first of all, nobody is getting understand, but somehow won't you understand, really tongues are not for you to start with. He's saying tongues are for a sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers, to them that do not believe. I said tongues have a twofold purpose. One is affirmation. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 talks about signs and wonders that accompanied the apostles. It was to affirm and confirm that these men and the message they were declaring were of God. It was a message they were given to men. God was confirming and affirming that these men are of God. But 2 Corinthians, or rather 1 Corinthians 14 was telling us that it was a sign to unbelievers, specifically the unbelieving Jew. Now follow me closely. On the day of Pentecost, when tongues were heard, According to Old Testament prophecies, that should have raised a red flag to the people of, of Israel. Had not God said in the past, I will judge you with the people, then other tongues, he said, and the, the matter of speaking in tongues or another language was a sign of judgment on Israel. Are you listening to me tonight? It was a sign of judgment. You remember a couple of weeks ago when I gave you a threefold way to...